0: Well, I'm not an expert. Yep. You just gave everybody permission to discount whatever you're about to say. Bingo. And any phrase that is in that box, because
1: there's a ton of them. And when I hear them, if I'm say it's helping somebody prepare for an interview, I'm like, stop. Action words. You did this. I get that you did it with the team. We all get that part. And we all did it with teams, by the way. Exactly. And now let's sharpen your message. And, you know, I will still stop people say teachable moment here. When you <laughs> just said this, you denigrated what you were about to tell me, I believe. And here's the phrase you used. Well, yep. I'm, I'm just an art person. No art and design is actually huge in robotics, right? You said, no, no, no. That's the skill you bring to the table. That's the value you bring to the yep. table.
0: I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever inquisitive guests. We'll explore together, in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at kathysullivanexplores.com, You'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you. And also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to kathysullivanexplorers.com. What do you talk about at the dinner table if both of your parents are spies? You'll discover one family's answer to that question from my guest today, Renee Wynn. To the outside world, her parents were simply systems analysts. In fact, they were analysts and operatives for the American intelligence services. And that's just one intriguing tidbit from Renee's fascinating life story. She spent 25 years working in information services at the Environmental Protection Agency before becoming Chief Information Officer, or CIO, at NASA, while many people might consider CIO a humdrum job, the challenge and fun of delivering cloud services in space is anything but. Renee's career path reminds us that it's not what you major in at college that matters, but whether you built good reasoning skills and became an active learner. That's how an econ major rises to become the CIO of a multi-billion dollar enterprise, with a network that reaches, quite literally, beyond the solar system. So, Renee Nguyen, uh, delighted to get you on the podcast. Boy, I can't wait to learn all sorts of things from you on this podcast about the world cyber and the world NASA. So, thank you for agreeing to join me. Kathy, it is an honor to join you on this stage and, and talk about
1: probably a lot of different things, including NASA and cybersecurity, perhaps even you know leadership and being women and the journeys of our life and, and how it can both be inspiring or lessons learned.
0: <laughs> <laughs> inspiring and informative. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The much better word. Well, let yeah. me show you the scar from that conversation. Oh, yes. exactly. Exactly. Well, before we get to comparing our various bits of hard won scar tissue, I've never had the chance to chat with you about the longer Renee Wynn story. So let's spool back through time a little bit and, uh, Tell me a bit about the very young Renee Wynn, where she was growing up, what life was like, what her family was like, age three, four, five. Where wherever you first remember something. Yeah, thank you
1: for that. It's it's uh, first. I always open with I am a native Washingtonian. I was born in the city of Washington D.C. Oh my C. God, that makes you a, a very rare species. It does. It does. And so as I grew up, there were a number of influences. One was international news, and I would call it politics, but geopolitics too, have always been right there in front. And I had I had the benefit of actually three parents, right? And that because my parents divorced when I was very young, so back when you didn't get divorced. Yeah. But my uh, mom was covert operations for a national security
0: agency, so she was a spy. Whoa. So you guys you guys lived in Maryland or in the district or what, what part of town? As my son says, I'm a DMV girl.
1: So born in the district. <laughs> uh, M for Maryland, D for district. Maryland was uh, up until I got engaged. So I was there both in Prince George's County as well as Montgomery County.
0: PG is the one sort of northeast of Washington and Montgomery Northwest. Northwest and probably a little bit southwest, you know, because okay. they, yeah.
1: they abut each other. So okay. there's lots of roads between them and the Beltway. Just
0: outside the district in suburbia is where
1: you go. Exactly. Going. Actually, it's had parts of Prince George's County and parts of Montgomery County touch Washington, D.C., which, okay. you know, was was
0: influential growing up here, especially yeah. once one got a driver's license. And your mom's a spy and was your dad in some part of the government business? It it is company town. Yes, yes. Interestingly enough, uh, my dad was hired by NASA at age
1: 25 as an engineer. And a lot of folks don't know that. He was there when I was the chief information officer. He was still there? He was there, but as a, a new attendant. Okay. And when I joined, his first comment was, I might reduce... My time with NASA, because you're already bossed me around
0: enough. (laughs) (laughs) And was he computer geeky or a spacecraft engineer? No, you know, Kathy, interestingly
1: enough, as a kid, I'm going to just finish the third parent. My third parent was my stepfather, who was also covert operations. He was Army covert operations, SIGINT. A Signal Intelligence Corps, and then he moved to NSA, where that's where my mom met them. So I had this public service background at the house, a lot of it,
0: um, spook background. So my parents never talked about work. I, I was going to ask, what was your dinner table conversation? I mean, <laughs> so it was politics and it was schedules like everyone, in, yeah. you know,
1: it was also schedules because there were two where I have a sister food, especially as we became teenagers, and lots of geopolitic issues, as well as international. Um, we had a lot of international influence in our house. Probably had a lot of spies visit our house that <laughs> I didn't even know. So what not you tell your friends about what your parents did? I mean, I didn't, you- I didn't have a thing to tell my friends.
0: They were systems analysts. All right, then. And did they ever, were they kind of, I mean, did you ever know where they were working? No. And in
1: fact, Two great stories uh, on that one. One, my stepfather had gone away for six weeks and he said, I'm going to South America. So he was gone for six weeks and he comes back and he's got a suitcase full of stuff for us. The first thing that comes out, not out of the suitcase, but to give to us were carved rhinoceros giraffe. I mean, I distinctly remember this, a a giraffe and a lion, maybe a tiger. So not exactly South America. Exactly. (laughs) And malachite. And I was at least savvy enough to go, why are we have these carved wooden animals from South America? How is that, you know, in in only a teenage voice, how is that the thing you get from South America? That's not South America, that's Africa. You know, I'm no (laughs) idiot my mother and my stepfather kind of said, well, we couldn't tell you, but David was actually in Africa, in Mubasa. And then he proceeded to tell us stories about, you know, driving around armed vehicle with people with big guns and snakes. He says, yeah, whenever you walk somewhere, you had to stomp. Not everywhere, but certain places. I was like, okay, well, those are very different.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and he says,
1: we well, we couldn't we couldn't put the family at risk by you having knowledge of where we were. My my. Yep. So this also meant, well, not formally trained like a lot of diplomats' families. Mm, where I was learning to drive, and I grabbed the steering wheel a particular way as 16, 17 year seventeen-year-olds do, and my mother just snaps to me like don't do that. If your wrist gets broken, you will not be able to drive. And in fact, you're putting your wrist at risk of getting broken. And I'm like, okay, mom, did we swallow that? We're not connected to this world day pill, right? (laughs) What did I know? And she says, okay, here's the thing. You could be kidnapped. And so let's learn about how you can make sure that you don't get kidnapped and what you need to do if you should get kidnapped. Wow. Still 16, 17 year old, you're just looking down the road going, Have I now just gone into the twilight zone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, like, why am I worried about being kidnapped in suburban America in Washington D, you know, just outside of yeah. Washington, DC? So she proceeds to teach me a few things. I'm like, okay, great. And so I-, I hid that
0: knowledge. Like, I am not telling anyone I know this stuff. Well, I I mean, you're 16 the first time you kind of realized that your folks being in that business could ricochet off onto you? Yes, actually, that was probably
1: the the sort of huh, and it got played out one other time, and that is just when I was getting ready, I really wanted to go to college overseas as part of my whole college experience, right? Not as an extra thing, but as part of the scholastic, the academic, as well as the cultural and experiential yeah. things, and this is back in the 80s. And so when I came home with the list, there was this, you know, no, 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 no. <laughs> And, and that's when I was told, at least at that point, you're not going to Greece. You are too close to being kidnapped. It's you're just in harm's way. And I'm, I, I'm like, at this point, I'm going, what are you guys talking about? You're great. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can be oblivious to your jobs and just get over it. And I think that plays out sometimes when people tell me they have unusual jobs. I just stop asking questions yeah. because I, at home I was taught you just, you, you don't go ask here questions. and you don't go down right. that rabbit hole. And I went, okay. And they said, well, here's the deal. We're in positions where you and your sister could be targets. So what we try to do is make sure you don't go places that changes your risk profile. The United States is fine. The other thing we have to think about is whether if something should happen to you, can we help you in any way? And help, my interpretation was not just what a parent typically would do right. to help, Right, but that there were resources associated with it that were not the typical resources. Yeah, we're not. It's not. We're sending
0: you travelers checks. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. right, exactly.
1: We'll just send rent. You know, cryptocurrency at
0: this yeah. day, day. No,
1: we're not an option.
0: No, I, I, more like SWAT team. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You got it. We're gonna do an extraction operation here. Exactly. And, and that's
1: if if I was worth saving, right? I mean, let's just be real about <laughs> geopolitical issues. There are some they'll try to do something for. There's some that they will absolutely do something for. And there are people that, yeah, they'll just nod and say, thank you, take a number. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's all right. It's all right. You know, it actually helped being the chief information officer. What did you guys do for vacations? Uh, beach. We, we just got lazy. My parents were <laughs> like, boom, out cold on the beach. And that. So ultimately, so that your listeners know, I did go to the University of Freiburg in the Black Forest. Um, oh, nice. So it was great because I was in a secure situation as far as they were concerned. Yeah. I was in the area called the Dry Ecke, Three Corners because um, you know, I was that far. Yep. And this is with West Germany. The three not Corners. Yeah. Yep. Because then you're France and Switzerland. So all the borders are good. And all of that, and um, it was a great experience. And so vacations were always spent at the beach. And I spend all my vacations doing adventure things because I love the beach and I can do it for a week. But after a while, I'm like, all are right, crazy go, yeah, make yeah. wild things happen.
0: So I spent my third year of university in Norway. And may I just say that no planning anything like what you just described occurred in my household. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, why, why not, Kathy? I thought, I thought that, that you pulled out a map. And you laid the terrain. It's like, okay, we're going here. Let's all figure out our escape routes.
0: Not quite as, yeah, that happened. <laughs> no. And you know, there's a tremendous commando history in the world war two commando history in Norway. So I suppose I could have fallen into your version of the twilight zone and found myself in such an escapade, but, but that's just wild. It is wild. And then there was one other point
1: when, Actually, I then learned a lot more about my mother. And so my mom died very young. She was 48. My sister was much younger. She is much younger. No, she's not older than I am. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a it's a NASA capability. Maybe we should yeah, talk right. to people about that. So it was at her funeral that my stepfather was able to get cleared information to share with us about her. And I think the big claim to fame was my mom was fluent in many languages. And I knew some of them. I didn't know all of them. And one of them was Bulgarian. And of course, people are like, well, how do you not know your mom's fluent in Bulgarian? I'm like, when did you go to a Bulgarian
0: restaurant? Order off the Bulgarian menu. <laughs> exactly. I said, <laughs> you, you know,
1: in Washington, you'd see French, you'd see German, you'd see Spanish, right? And mom would just right into those languages, order, and all that. You're like, okay, that makes sense. We're in Washington. Everyone speaks those languages. I don't, but they do. And he shared a story about uh, covert operations where she successfully did an extraction through the catacombs of Bulgaria of wow. some important assets for the United States government. And, you know, that's when you kind of went, oh, that's what all
0: those things meant. Yeah. And especially as a teenager, you know, you're more go overseas and work. She was on the active side of things or she was sort of in the back home in the analyst side of things.
1: Yeah, she was both an analyst. uh, She was a logistics planner and ultimately ended up in and not ended up, but chose to be because you choose these things. You chose to be in an operation. She also had a hand in the failed Iran saving the hostages. Actually, a woman I went to high school with her father was there and he was a, a hostage. So that morning when it failed, you know, we're, we, we, pay attention to the news, right? Sure. Especially that, yeah. you know, woke up and my, uh, oddly, my parents were actually still asleep. My mom and stepfather, father, which is unusual because they're, you know, usually out to work because you're dealing with time zones. They were out to work, but they were home is because they had spent pretty much the whole night working a lot of different things. And, and the helicopters were the point of failure. There's many points of failures on that. But my mother had worked on the planning of that one. And all I got was an expletive and out the, (laughs) showered and out the door. And we didn't see her for a couple of days after that. Wow. She shared some more information in that expletive and, and out the door. So there were certainly signs, but, you know, let's talk about being a teenager. Uh, You you know, you're, you're self-centered. Yeah. And the world is not that big. No. And the final thing that, that sort of shapes your mindset and this gets back to us being both at NASA when I got the the, the honor of being invited uh, by station, by William Phil Gerstermeyer and the heads by of Space the station. station. Yeah, Space Station. Yes, thank you. International Space Station. And they said, hey, why don't you come to a launch? Having just yeah.
0: been speaking about spooks, you might have meant a different station. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, that's my, true. My brain was still sort of in James Bond mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: stay there. Stay there, Kathy. <laughs> so I say, sure, let's let's go. Because actually,
0: the CIO organization supports these launches um, quite a bit in a lot of different ways. And these so- are all the launches to assemble the station? Is it that point in time? It, it was actually,
1: no, uh, it was well assembled. This was just in 2017, 2018 oh, in right, that yeah. time range. So we're fully that, we're only riding Soyuz. There's no space shuttle program anymore. And commercial crew program is still in the developmental stages You know, on a successful path, but it's still not there. So I go over there to do some observations. Part of the CIO team actually supports these launches in a lot of
0: different ways. Uh, so and that's great, out in Kazakhstan, or, or that is in, in?
1: Yep. So we we start in Moscow for a week because we're working there on a lot of prep work, and then the team goes to Kazakhstan. And that's so I go to Kazakhstan. I get off the airplane, and you're 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 basically in a desert, and the snow is now melted, so it's this dark brown soil. You go through the gate they close the gate behind us because we all get checked out i look around at the gate and i go there's no extraction opportunity for us
0: (laughs) paris you're well i don't know if they trained you but they it seeped in clearly (laughs) it did
1: it did so i do look at things sometimes going Out's
0: going to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> Where's McIver when I need him?
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So there wasn't even a tumbleweed, right? You, you couldn't even just hover behind a tumbleweed. And, and I'm not even sure where we'd go.
0: Besides that sort of alertness to safety and security factors, that is at least a little bit James Bondy. Can you trace other ways in which your parents work and the household that shaped you? Or just this general, the intensity and pervasiveness of the geopolitical overlay that living in Washington has maybe. Yeah. But habits of mind or worries, or I, that has to scar or stain isn't the right word, but that, that's got to be pretty influential.
1: I think so, right? And I've heard some of your podcasts and just like your other guests, there's a lot that influences a life, right? So yes, it influences life, you know, keen interest in what's going on in other places besides my lovely little United States. And I love the United States, right? A keen interest in getting into situations where I am the, I'll use the term, the immigrant, not the native. Going, and you've gone places, right? And you get ready to go places, but when you get there, it's a full experience. It's not the outside looking in to prepare for your effort, right? You into space, you going at the depth of the ocean, do all the preparation, and then you get there.
0: Yep. And you can't ever have fully anticipated all of what being there is going to feel like, sound like, smell like, mean, start to mean to you right away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love to go do that because it's
1: it's a reminder of, I think, gratefulness and appreciation. It's a reminder of what people have done ahead of you. So as a female leadership, right, my mom actually successfully sued and ultimately was a class action suit against NSA for their discrimination against women. Wow. An- another factor, like I never believed. I couldn't do anything and when you hit those barriers you're like why 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 am I playing soft I mean this is really ridiculous but why am I having to play softball when I played baseball at you know in I grew up in a neighborhood with a it felt like a thousand kids but it was probably like you know 15 or 20 you know every house had yeah. several children in it and so when I had to play softball I was like why am I playing softball it's like hitting a roll of toilet paper I want to hear the whack. I want to see that thing roll. And, you know, then all of a sudden you get into society and you start to see these differences, but you've already been shaped with your biases and with your, um, some of your self-beliefs. And they, they switch and they change and all of that. But growing up in that house of, and my dad at NASA, right? Reaching, pushing, pulling,
0: going, and no boundaries. And problem solving. I mean, Household like that, folks like yours, I imagine it must have been, you know, instructive in a subtle way to just watch and listen to them plan a vacation or solve a household problem.
1: Right, exactly. There. There's nothing in my house now, especially, that doesn't require brainstorming,
0: even when you're like,
1: okay, let's just go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, then. So Montgomery County and Freiburg for a little while in college where where did you or where was your main college and your major? And I mean, did you know uh, some early days I'm going to go to college and I'm going to major in this and be that?
1: Yes, to college. Uh, so I graduated college before my mom and right about the same time as uh, my aunt. My mom's the oldest of, of a few and my dad college. And at this point he had his Ph.D. So education was the thing because You know, my mom didn't. My grandfather, like everyone on the generation behind or two generations behind was they pursued education,
0: read and things like that, but they didn't get the school education. Right. That's a really critical distinction. There are lots of ways to get educated. One of which is school. Yeah.
1: Right. My grandfather got a law degree and this was and he passed the bar, but he never went to law school. So there's a little different era but there are ways through things go with what you can do until maybe you can do the thing you really want to do. Yep. And so, yeah, so education was a a given there was, there was, it was school. Now I was groomed despite great reluctance to pursue engineering and was offered quite a bit in terms of an engineering schools I refused. I was <laughs> uh-huh. not <Hell> no. <laughs> exactly one. I was tired of being in advanced math and science classes as the only female, and, and in high school we're all dorks. But I, get to, I was like, these guys are dorks, right? And there were some behavior things, but I didn't chalk it up to gender. I was like, you're just dorky, you're just a dork, right? Yeah. You're not. Don't be. You're not jerk. bothering me, but I'm tired of being away from. My posse, my peer group, my fem- you know, female, surrounded by the weirdos. Exactly, exactly. And it, I, I mean, no disrespect. It's it old, people. It just gets old. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It does. It's like, why can't I sometimes talk about this or that? Why does it always have to be this? And you know, and I excelled in those things. And so, I actually intentionally went for business, and I'm glad I did, because ultimately, I ended up both in business and running, engineering, yeah, and in and in a background of a, a tech. In a tech business, and so, so I chose my school, and I went to DePauw University in Greencastle, Indiana, and I did it for a couple of things. Wait, what? I (laughs) mean,
0: I even I even know of DePauw, but from suburban Maryland, Washington, DC, that's like nowhere. I had criteria. Really? I did. I always was like, well, how am I going to make this decision, (laughs) right? And um,
1: when it comes to flavors of ice cream, I'll just get them all. When it comes to to pursue. How to pursue things, I'll I'll come up with the criteria. And and the criteria was very simple. Again, it was back to, I grew up, I love Washington, D.C., but I knew I needed to live other places to know differently about making that choice of where to live. Because your first few jobs, you can choose, or at least I assumed you could choose, which I was able to choose, so it was all good. So I wanted to go be different. I wanted to leave everything of comfort behind. I wanted a Greek system so that it would be easier to be part, become part of a network and gain friends, like-minded friends and friends that were also different. Fraternal system. Not all cookie cutter. Exactly. Exactly. There was likeness and there was difference. And I wanted to go to school overseas. And that was my criteria. Anything about size or setting. I wanted small. Okay. I'll admit this. I skipped school a lot. (laughs) I was bored and I kept straight A's. So no one asked any questions. I mean, they did look at the absence number in classes because it was on the weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She's like, okay, you've got A's and you haven't, you have been out of most of your classes more
0: than 10 days. "Mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) tells you something about the teaching doesn't it (laughs) i was like
1: yeah so i i knew i needed structure because i i at least knew enough about myself uh, when given the chance to go play you know, go on a bike ride go for a hike sit around and shoot the breeze with friends that's what i would choose to do over focusing on the school so I, i i need that structure so those that was really the criteria cool yeah Indiana. Yeah. And you know, so then you go along through life and I vowed never to be a civil servant. I I I wanted money. I'll just admit it. I thought that's what I thought that's what you needed to pursue. You know, because I didn't know anything about my mom's job at this point, right? What I knew is my dad was a doctor of metal. Kathy, you now instinctively know how a doctorate in metal is important. It wasn't until I got to NASA. So long time till I went. Oh, that's why we needed you.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah. You are kind of important,
1: Dad. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, so what do you, he's like, yeah, I build, I work on satellite programs. He was at Goddard. I work on these satellite programs. I do this, do that. Oh, he's got to dart off to this, dart off to that because it had a failure and all of this. And I'm like, Okay.
0: Yeah. Great. Can I have the keys? Yeah. (laughs) Got a a 20?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, that too. Yeah. I wasn't going to say that one, but yes, that was,
0: yeah, two hands were out. (laughs) right. Car keys and money, please. When did you finish university?
1: Uh, I finished in 85.
0: Okay. So the space shuttle's up and running and all, and you're maybe a little bit aware of that, or did that all fall away when you went out? to? Yeah aware because, you know, dad worked at NASA and while my parents were divorced, right. There's still a
1: relationship there. So, you know, I know what's going on in, in shuttle and dad's talking about it and stuff like that, but it's, it's kind of background noise for me. I'm not, I'm, I'm like staying away from at this point, I'm consciously trying to stay away from public service. My first job, because I came out in the eighties and it was hard to find work then, I sold shoes, which was actually made no money because I love shoes. I love shoes. Doggone employee discount, man. (laughs) Exactly. I did. And you know what's interesting? I say this and going back to greater diversity in the workplace, Janet Cavandi,
0: she loves shoes. Yeah. Janet Cavandi, for those who don't know, is a fellow astronaut of mine, of a younger vintage, shall we say, who went on to run the... Uh, the Lewis Space Center in Cleveland and has now joined one of the startup private space companies. Yes, she's amazing.
1: She's amazing. You know, as you know, being around amazing people sort of bring you, improve your game as well. She walks in and I'm like, I know that she's a former astronaut. I know this. I even saw her picture when she went to training at Star City in um, Russia. I found hers and Ellen Ochoa, former center director for Johnson Space Center, former astronaut So it was really cool to see that. And I looked down, she's wearing some awesome shoes. And what comes out of my mouth? I'm like, Janet, those are awesome. Where'd you get them? (laughs) And she's like, oh, right. She lights up. (laughs) Exactly. And I went, great. So it was a connector, a, a love of something. Uh, and and it is a way to connect with actually now my son's a sneakerhead so uh, it's a way to reconnect there and I can connect you know across and diversely when it comes to shoes with people so you never know what's going to help you with that
0: so where was that out in Indiana or had you come back no that was back here in the Montgomery County area and then then I
1: got a, my mom knew a former Marine who got a job at Sally May it was female former female General Marine. So student loan marketing, if she was a colonel. I think she retired as a colonel. So they went out to lunch. My mom got me a job, network. I was, you know, administrative position. And it, it, there I was impatient. I, I remain impatient and I needed information out of a system and they used SAS as their language.
0: So I went and some learned. Software acronym, right? Exactly. Right it's, yeah. Right? And it's
1: actually still around now. I, I don't. I think it was statistical analysis software, but I don't think they use the spelled out acronym anymore Yeah, because it does a lot of different things, but that's how it started. And so I got into programming for self-sufficiency and impatience and that was great. It was great fun. Cause I, you know, run in stuff and never pretty, but just get the data, do the analysis and then, and then really help help. And I worked in accounting. So really kind of help look at trends and, and not just pay bills and, and learn that you, from data, you can find different ways of doing business. That got me a job with Booz Allen. Big consulting firm. Yep. A friend of mine dropped my resume and they called me right away and they hired me to come in and do programming. And that was great. And I was very excited about that. Good salary bump. And, uh, and you know when, when you're looking at small dollars, any salary bump is good. And that's when I was introduced to a mission of the United States government again.
0: Yes. They do a lot of probably most of their work for government clients, right? Yes,
1: yes, they are. They are considered what's called a GovCon, a government contractor, very highly regarded.
0: Yeah, in less respectful terms, a beltway bandit. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so I uh
1: I I went to them and my client was an EPA and I didn't I ended up not doing anything with programming but I was the interface I was because I understood enough about the programming I could talk to the client about what he was looking for and then the team and I would brainstorm and there was an excellent programmer there like I I would never have been able to compete compete just the way he thinks gave him a leg up on what I could do but teamed was great because. I, we could translate and 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 really pull things together, and and we were a great team there at the Booz Allen team. There were about four or five of us. What kind of stuff were you doing for the Environmental Protection Agency? So this is also when the government had to start justifying its budgets, like with data. How many widgets are you buying? What's the cost of the widgets? What is the benefit to the United States public? And I got connected to the Superfund program, which is the cleanup of highly contaminated properties across the United States. Um, these are stories you hear about quite a bit. Uh, there was the movie John Travolta was in, Civil Action, right? Chemicals coming out of showers, dermal
0: exposure, inhalation exposure, uh, groundwater exposure. Yep. Yeah. somebody buried tanks of stuff back when and it's tanks are corroding and it's now leaching into the soil and into your water and- absolutely love canal. Yep.
1: Yep. And and in fact I ultimately moved into federally owned properties and we had unexploded ordinance we had to deal yep. with. Military bases. Yep. Yep. The military bases and and that so that's when I was introduced to EPA. And that is when I call it the torch was lit. And I think of it as a torch for really? public service. Huh. I could not ever imagine at that moment, I was never going to work for money again. I really? was going to work for mission.
0: Can you say anything more about that conversion? And you've made me a little curious whether the selling shoes and and looking for budget data. I've talked to some folks who go back and forth between the public and the private sector. And they they often talk about getting to the private sector and discovering that it just feels thin you're being busy and you're getting money and sometimes sometimes substantially more money than you were getting in the other kind of work and just thin is the word that they often use yeah yeah
1: and and i and i chose my words specifically about that torch and i think, yeah. I think these concepts are very much aligned i i worked for clean water clean air safe land safe chemicals for the public right I mean, yes, I get a paycheck and I'm glad for my paycheck. I'm not disregarding the fact that money helps life be more comfortable, but money doesn't buy you that thing that just pulls your whole heart into what you're doing. And in my public service, like you did, you you have traveled the world in a different way than I have. You've traveled the universe, in fact. <laughs> I, I, i've I've kept my feet on Terra firma. I surf. That's the most deep I get for water. But I couldn't imagine getting up in the morning and exhausted by Fridays, right? At least later in the career and and go, yep, yeah, today we we need to finish this report for Congress to justify our money that makes a difference in the lives of communities across the United States. And it's, it didn't, the community composition, it
0: wasn't that, oh, we're going to do it in this community, not that community. Yeah, it was rich folks or the white folks or the this folks or that folks. Yep, yeah. You, you were going to that community to do that. Now
1: you, to work in communities, you have to modify how you communicate with the communities, depending upon language, socioeconomics, and where to go. Right? Mm-hmm. You want to communicate with some segments of the population. You go to their churches. Absolutely. That's where you post public notices. It's not the news. You put them in the newspaper because that's required. But you go post them in the local churches.
0: You want folks to really hear and be talking about it. Yeah. The church is where that happens in many communities. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and so what more could there be in 40 to 60 hours a week? It just, everything just fell away. I'm like, there's nothing else there's, there's just you children. How much can, you know, I, I then started to get the exposure to risk baselines, especially cancer risk, baselines, you know, 10 to the minus something or other, for cleanup standards. Cause I was always in land programs. However, because I worked in overseeing the cleanup of federally owned properties. Sometimes your land piece had to have a water piece. And so you you start to learn a little bit about the, the air and, and water pieces of these large, in this instance, military bases or Department of Energy places. Dirty sites. Um, and that. Yeah. You, so you start to just learn about some of those things. And while I was a policy writer, I was also the person that helped justify the budgets that went to Congress. So having this policy piece, getting to know people in the field, I I, I was like, I don't understand your job. Teach me your job, not to be you, but expose me to your job. And that's what I would use to both help write and justify the budgets, not just with the widgets, but what's the heart around it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the other part was how to write policies is to pull the right people to the table and make sure that the people you are writing the policies for get a chance to review it. Yeah. Um, so I wrote several policies. One of them was on perchlorate, which is in rocket fuel. And it's also, you know, missiles and it's in our fireworks. And we didn't have, the science wasn't there yet on standards for human exposure, animal exposures or anything like that. So we just borrowed from other places, you know, so you pull in scientists.
0: Kind of means you don't know how how much could be bad, right? Right. Right. So you pull in. Take it by the spoonful or you better not get one molecule of it. Right. And so
1: you design a team to write a policy and you let others comment on it, especially the holders of the largest consumers of the perchlorate was the United States Department of Defense. And we gave it to them to review because they were the ones that had to make the framework happen. And we needed them to have it happen, right? So you can't be fighting at every site. You need to fight over the pieces of paper so that when you get out to the facility or site, the teams can collaborate and figure out the best way work
0: done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how long were you with EPA or Booz Allen? Did you stay on the Booz Allen side of the fence or did you hop over and become a civil servant?
1: I hopped over and became a civil servant. So I, I got out in 85. So I sold shoes for a year or so, Sally Mae for two years, uh, Booz Allen for two years, roughly, you know, almost exactly in that. And then I joined EPA in 1990 as a civil servant. And then I I went to, I was there for 25 years and went to NASA in 2015. Yeah. How
0: did the hop to NASA happen? It's not exactly a four-lane paved road. (laughs) (laughs) Especially at Kathy getting there going. EPA types and NASA types.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we'll go back to the I am an immigrant. What the heck are you saying to me right now? I don't get it. I'm sure it all makes sense in English. So it was uh, there. There are three points to this story. One is I saw how we were treating this planet, and I needed a way off. And I needed to make sure the next planet had wine and chocolate. <laughs> all right then, I'm going with you. <laughs> so that was my first answer. and and everybody always laughed at that the second piece was i moved into operations kind of the last let's see 11 25 about the last four or five years of my time at epa although while i was at epa i was always using computers i was always doing some programming i was always figuring out how to make have computers help us enable the mission so there's a theme through all of this computer and that now, just kind of
0: grew organically
1: it just grew organically because computers were entering the well, world truce yeah.
0: very organically at this point too i mean at that point actually those calendar years you probably probably even still for many years there wasn't any such thing as a computer science degree even undergraduate there was but it was all
1: programming the right. punch cards Never drop your box of punch cards.
0: And then for many, many, many years, some schools had computer science, but they were like you just said, it was kind of teaching you how to punch cards. And so they were not accredited. They were not really recognized as even as valid. They weren't as valid as a trade school certificate because they everybody taught them in such different ways. And some really were no better than teaching you how to type on a keyboard. Right. Okay. So you basically had to climb that learning curve yourself. Exactly. And and anybody would anyway. And
1: I'm, I'm a big believer for college in many things, but I also, because we have such huge shortages in cybersecurity and, and data science, I believe there's a, there's other ways to bring awesome people into those fields and other fields too, but those are just the two I end up kind of playing with now at the, the latter part of my career. But I got in because I was always dabbling with computers, trying to enable what it is that I wanted to do. I moved into operations at EPA. I was a deputy CIO. Computer operations, IT operations? IT operations. At this point now, EPA has created a IT organization, Office of Environmental Information. Mm -hmm. And it's got lots of cats and dogs from all over the agency because
0: everybody was doing systems work all over the agency because guess what? We're moving data. Well, and everyone's learning how to do it by themselves because nothing's gotten organized yet. Right. Right. So I moved in. I shifted into that. I,
1: not the CIO position because it was a political appointee job at, at no time while I was at EPA and, and actually even at NASA. Did I want to head towards a political career? You had one as well. Right. Have, I said, nope. I'm, I'm really just going to at this point. I'm like so close. I'm just going to retire from the federal government. So, which I'm glad I made that decision. So, I became the deputy CIO, and and I loved it. I, I didn't understand half the stuff that was going on. Right, that wasn't my job. My job was to ask questions, and my job was to have people work together as a team and to serve the customers. And at this point, also enterprise management of IT is hard. Oh, it's actually, it's just hard anyway. But the tools are changing. You know, you're going from desktop provided software that. You know, I had you had now I've got my my son is here and my nieces are here in my son's lifetime. He's had software only done on your computer, but his working career has always been software out there in being the cloud locked. somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right so you're having to do computer based you know individual computer work so it is it's it's really hard and it's always hard but it's got these different complications associated maybe it's just always just different complications
0: that would have been the era tell me if i have this wrong that because this, the software was resident on each machine and so if you had if you personally had three computers one at home one at work one at the, your vacation home each of them could end up with a different yeah. Wrote software on it, and if you wrote a document on one, there was no magic way it ended up on the others. It, it was a whole different mindset to think about. Wait, where do I? It, where do I have that? Because it's on this one and not that one, and it's in this version and not that version. Yeah. Now your computer is basically just another window into one, Great. one in the same environment. It's kind of like I, I can look through any telescope and I get the same view. Exactly. As an
1: excellent analogy. And to add to that, right. So imagine running something where you have to visit 15,000 computers for yeah. the latest update. Physically handle 15,000. Yeah. Computers. yeah. 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 Right. And, you know, when a document was lost, <laughs> if that computer hadn't been backed up. Yeah. It's gone. 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 Yeah. Yeah. We don't have that now. In fact, you can switch between your mobile phone and your computer. In fact, you can sit down at your friend's computer. Exactly.
0: And look at your
1: environment. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so th- that's what we dealt with. But I loved that stuff. I loved being called dumb, ugly, and stupid on a regular basis. I mean, you, you run IT. If you're in operations. Oh, yeah. You're going
0: to get insults. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I have been yelled at. And at <laughs> NASA, too. <laughs>
0: But, you know, Renee, you flew by one point there that I want to come back to and ask you to reflect on a bit. And you said you you became deputy CIO and quickly said that you kind of had essentially no clue really what was going on. But that wasn't your job, that your job was to ask questions. Do you think not understanding that, do you think that's something that hangs many women up on stepping up for jobs or promotions? that they build a mindset of why, gosh, I don't know everything all about that. So I I couldn't be scary. I might, I might fail. Oh gosh. I'm expected to know it all. Yes.
1: And, and I'm going to say yes. And, and I'm going to add some other pieces to it. And the first is, the difference between a way a female looks at a job application. And actually I shot myself in the foot again, even after I retired on something, on a job application, even though I had- Your sale of a major
0: agency and you put a it. Right, and I did.
1: boom, right? End up in a great spot, you know, but it really was a reflection point. But the first one is, is we look at a job application and most women see it as a
0: checklist. Or the position description. Have I done this? Have I done that? Yep. Yep. I've got the ice cream, right? I look at the list. I have, you know, I have, you
1: know, programmed this. I have, you know, uh, I know these software packages. I know this. And you look at it and you get to, well, five, six, seven software packages. I don't know two of them. Oh, I can't apply. Can't apply. Yeah. And, and if I applied... Then I'm going to walk into that job going, why'd they pick me? And why do I have this job? And comfortably call this the imposter syndrome. But I will say women aren't the only people that have it. No, that's certainly true. It's an individual trait. I talk talked to a lot of women about it because I'm like, stop with your language. I mean, just stop with your language because your self-talk is part of your problem. When you're first thing out of your mouth, you've sat around the big tables at NASA. I've sat around the big tables at NASA. I was a little tiny thing. So I was always next to Ralph Rowe, who's head of engineering. The man is easily a
0: foot taller than I am. <laughs> so I literally disappeared next to And just, and to just him. a tad bulkier, though. He wouldn't like me saying that. Exactly.
1: But I am so glad I had Ralph next to me because I was just... Things were going over my head. We were talking about James Webb Space Telescope, beautifully launched December 25th. They're talking about infrared stuff and these mirrors and this stuff. And I'm like, well, what's the worst thing that could go wrong, Ralph? Right? Hand him the note. Right? You, you know, I would just hand him my notes and not asking questions out loud because I didn't know enough to have the context to do it. But I was asking him questions. I just wasn't voicing them outside because I was intimidated by the surroundings. Mm. So, okay, let's say you're not intimidated by the surroundings, which I was, but I just went and sought the answers, right? I just went for one-on-one. You with just people. found another channel and got the answer. Exactly. So that finally I could finally step up and 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 then I was like, okay, now I get this. Not like get it to run it, but get it so that I can now participate. The <laughs> first thing I was like is, yes. so tell me about your cybersecurity plan. <laughs> Dead silence excellent. My team can help you. Right. So I was just like, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to go there, but we got to start talking about it. So I found my voice because I, I sought out trying to get the context by which these big missions were running. Cause I only participated in the big missions just because the smaller missions were just handled by the centers. And so questions and that the other
0: thing that we do, you may not have Kathy is, well, I'm not an expert. Yep, you just gave everybody permission to discount whatever you're about to say. Bingo.
1: And any phrase that is in that box, because there's a ton of them. And when I hear them, if I'm, say, it's helping somebody prepare for an interview, I'm like, stop. Action words. You did this. I get that you did it with the team. We all get that part. And we all did it with teams, by the way. Exactly. And now let's sharpen your message. And, you know, I will still stop people, say, teachable moment here. When <laughs> you just said this, you denigrated what you were about to tell me, I believe. And here's the phrase you used. Well, yeah. I'm I'm just a art person. No, art and design is actually huge in robotics, right? You said, no, no, no. That's the skill you bring to the table. That's the value you bring to the yeah. table. And then the ego part, I think, Women are in a different spot than a lot of men. That I saw is if you're sitting at that table, you just you
0: earned not deserved, you belong. It's not an act of charity. Yep, you are at the table, be at the table, learn,
1: find your voice, get people to help you with your voice. There's a couple of strategies with that, and then deliver on your value proposition and do and be prepared sure they're going to tell you wrong right nasa they, they they that you hear that a lot at nasa right that's just wrong and you're like okay tell me more about it it's not a personal attack you're the next thing should just be a question if especially if you're feeling hurt or irritated cuz maybe you aren't wrong but somebody's just called you wrong and you're like hey tell me more about that and then just circle with these questions yep turn the arrow around bingo and We, I think this is something that's got to be, it's taught, right? I was taught to keep quiet and, you know, as much as my parents pushed me out of that. Don't disturb people, dear. Yeah. Yeah. uh, But when I'm in school, right, you know, you're taught differently.
0: The other piece I picked up as I was going through that same process of, you know, finding your voice and finding your command presence is... You know if getting into the navy and having responsibilities as executive officer and commanding officer really helped me figure this out if you're at that big table you're actually at that big table because there's something you can bring that is needed and you're at the big table usually as the representative of a uh, some group of people that's got that expertise that's needed so you have to be there for them you've got to you have to own that role you have to make sure not that people adore and respect you, but, you know, respect the authority of the commanding officer. You might think I'm the dweebiest person to ever have it. You might think women should never have this role. You may have a lot of different opinions. You do not get to disrespect the stripes on this shoulder and the position of commanding officer of this unit, because, you know, my guys need a voice. They need an advocate. They need their work protected and advanced and falls to me to do that. So that mindset of realizing that's why it was important for me to step up and own these roles it was right. it, it made a lot of difference to me i think if it had just been an ego thing i would have been a much harder road much harder path for me anyway i think that's right and as i was
1: listening to you kathy it made me think of something maybe it's better to think of it every time you're at the table you have
0: the opportunity to give the gift of your expertise. Yeah. And some may value it and some may not value it, but you know, give it as best you can straight up. Exactly.
1: Because if you can't do it from where you are, then you need to train your brain to think of it in a way that will give you the oomph to say it. So you said you have people in your command. I had people in yeah, my, under, under your authority. Right. So if you can't do it for yourself. And you, you and I like people, we don't do these things for ourselves. We do these things for your people. So what have you heard from your team about the issue at hand that you have to voice? Yeah. Great. What do you need to learn to do better at that table? Because always think about it's a constant improvement.
0: For everyone at that table, some show it, some hide it, but everyone's everyone's learning something. And that, like you with the James Webb guys, mm-hmm. they hadn't thought about cybersecurity. That was an mm-hmm. absolute blank in their thinking, not a smart one to leave blank when they really needed to get their act together and work on. And- That's why you were there. So we're all putting something into this jigsaw puzzle. That's how it's going to become a complete picture.
1: That's exactly right.
0: If you can't
1: do it for yourself to start, then you need to do it for the benefit of the project, right? Cybersecurity can be Um, Mm life-threatening. And I just did a TEDx talk yesterday on cybersecurity in space. and, And I talked about space debris. And with the growing space economy, we got to be thinking about these things now. And we've seen things happen, seen like on a network, right? You know, Russia versus Ukraine and Russia now going after anybody that helps. It's a real thing. And guess what? Those are space assets too. Now, I'm not in classified environments anymore, but I am sure there are stories because I used to see the stories in classified environments. So I'm not thinking it just went away because I'm not there. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, pro- I promise it didn't yeah so there's the project's success or kill it because maybe it won't be a success and That's let's right. quit yep. spending money on it there's your people and um and it's you know for the overall mission or the overall bottom line for the company so if you can't do it for yourself
0: and i get that you can do it for these other things exactly. these are these are higher purposes and worthy callings. Yeah. We're um, right around at time, and this has just been great. I think there's so much wisdom in what you've just said about finding your voice and owning that role. With all of the roads you've been on and places you've worked, any other nuggets of wisdom that you've passed along to the 20-somethings in your world? Or as you think back to that the young Renee Wynn selling shoes, even the things you wish that she had learned sooner? Besides who an old planet is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would, and and I appreciate the opportunity to add some of this. One is and we were just talking about mindset is, is a, a lot of the issue. And, and I, I want to emphasize this is to say to people, how does a female who couldn't play sports because the National Education Act wasn't changed until 1972. And I was well and alive in 1972. I loved sports. I had a have a, a knack for probably more industrial engineering, right? I think in process flows. But guess what? I got a Bachelor of Arts, in economics degree, and I left my my career in the United States government as the NASA chief information officer where I ran global and off the globe infrastructure and services. We serve the astronauts on international space station in the CIO's office. Yeah. How do you do it? One, you're not alone. You will do it with your network. You absolutely must be curious, be good to your people. And I know Charlie's been on this one and he said this a lot and that's be good to your people and they take care of your work. And, Take time to self reflect. We are imperfect and that makes us beautiful. And when we make mistakes, what do you need to learn? And that's what I would leave it with because you can do so much. Look at what you've done, Kathy. I, I mean, you can design a life for yourself, mindset, curious, ask for help, try and always be a good person to people and self reflect.
0: Yeah. That is really brilliant, and I it's kind of and I think this is what what I think of as I look at and listen to the story that you've told, you've focused on designing you and that let you explore and build a life because it's you know I don't think it is preordained in any way, and it's certainly you know we can have a plan, everyone's got plans at different stages with certain time horizons to them and and, you know, sometimes life lets you check off one or two steps on your plan before something goes sideways. And, and other times it goes sideways right at the beginning, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, here we are. Hi, oh, sideways. Okay. It's yes. <laughs> <Seems> terribly familiar.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I think maybe that the thing I missed and you just hit is resilience. Yeah. Life is hard. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have deep grief. You're absolutely going to have deep grief. You're going to
0: have deep sadness. There's times it's going to suck, period, full stop. Yep, yep. Well, Renee, we have more adventures ahead of us uh, on a couple of projects that we're working on. I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm so grateful for this conversation and getting some of your backstory for me to know, but also because of all the wonderful nuggets of fun and humor and insight that it offers to a lot of other people. I think you've just mentored several hundred more people, at least all in the space of an easy conversation. So thank <laughs> you.
1: Kathy, it was an absolute honor. And I am so glad that we had, in our in our post-major careers, have had a chance to both meet and get to
0: know each other. It is an honor to mine. And I'll just wish you a great bon voyage. Uh, thank you much, Yes. That's Renee hinting at the fact that I'm heading off on vacation tomorrow to the wonderful country of France. So thanks so much, Renee. Have a great day.
1: All right. Safe travels.
0: Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to kathysullivanexplorers.com.